The following is a recording of Greenville Presbyterian Theological Seminary. For more information, visit gpts.edu. It is so good to be with y'all. Thank you for welcoming me to your chapel this morning. I want us to look this morning at Mark chapter 10, beginning in verse 35, and to read down to verse 45. And I know if you have your copy of scripture, you're going to find it helpful to have that open and to be reading along with me. And here... Um, Jesus has just told his disciples what he had come to do. He has just told them prior to this passage that he was going up to Jerusalem. The Son of Man would be delivered over to the chief priest and the scribes. He would be condemned to death and delivered over to the Gentiles. He would be mocked and spit upon, flogged and killed, but after three days he would rise. And now we read this, and James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came up to him and said, teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask of you. And he said to them, what do you want me to do for you? And they said to him, grant us to sit at your right hand and one at your left. Jesus said to them, you do not know that I drink baptized with the baptism with which I am baptized. And they said to him, we are able. And Jesus said to them, the cup that I drink, you will drink. And with the baptism with which I am baptized, you will be baptized. But to sit at my right hand or at my left is not mine to grant, but it is for those for whom it has been prepared. And when the ten heard it, they began to be indignant at James and John. And Jesus called them to him and said to them, you know that those who are considered rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them and their great ones exercise authority over them, but it shall not be so among you. But whoever would be great among you must be servant. Whoever would be first among you must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of God endures forever. You may be seated. Well, we heard this morning about that mission work that Robert Murray McShane was engaged in. He was um, in that mission work to Israel with two of his closest friends, the Bonar brothers, Horatius and Andrew Bonar. And, um, and what we know of their friendship is that they were the closest of friends and they labored together and they loved one another. What you may not know is that there was a season of their lives and ministries in which Uh, in which Robert Murray McShane was gaining great notoriety and his ministry was exploding. And Andrew Bonar began to be envious of his good friend. And the envy was eating him up and he was struggling internally. And in his journal, when Andrew Bonar went to deal with this issue, this is what he wrote. He said, it is amazing that the Lord has spared me and uses me at all. It is amazing that the Lord has spared me and used me at all. I have no reason to wonder that he has used others far more than he does me, yet envy is my hurt. And today I've been seeking grace to rejoice exceedingly over the usefulness of others, even where it casts me into the shade. Lord, take this envy away from me. I've thought often about that first line. It's amazing that the Lord has spared me and used me at all. How often... We, we forget that truth, that he doesn't have to use us, that there's nothing in us that should make us um, desirous 
for the Lord to use us. And, and what is oftentimes in our hearts is what was in James and John's heart at this point in Christ's ministry. Now, I noted when we started that the Lord Jesus has just told them, really for the first time, it's sort of the turning point in the Gospels, what he came to do. He's kept that a bit reserved from them, and he, he says he's going to suffer. He's going to be mocked and beaten and spit upon. And, and right at that point when Jesus is saying the central work that he came into this world to do is to suffer for the redemption of his people, right at that point, James and John said, Lord, we want you to make us great. It's fascinating how often the disciples forget or don't hear what Jesus just told them. Um, in fact, if you know the Gospels well, you'll know this, that uh, the disciples are recurrently arguing among themselves about who is the greatest immediately after Jesus has corrected them or right at a point when he has instituted something that points to him. Um, and, and we are just like them, both by nature and in a state of redemption. We are just like them. I know you know this, C.S. Lewis gave a lecture in 1944 at King's College in London, and um, the title of that is now The Inner Ring. Lewis talks about how in life there are all these inner circles, social circles, and, and they're not formal. They don't go by any name, Lewis says. They, they usually are me and Tom and him. And you don't talk about them because if you talk about them, it means you're not in them. And everybody's trying to get into the next inner circle. And Lewis says at the end, they realize there really is no ultimate. They just keep going as concentric inner so uh, circles of social status. Here, James and John are, are looking to get into the inner ring. They want to be at the top. And I want us to consider this morning three things. I want us to consider first the nature of the kingdom. Then I want us to consider the cost of the kingdom. And then I want us to consider the king of the kingdom, the nature of the cost and the king. We'll notice James and John come up to Jesus and they say, and it's, it's remarkable that they could speak to the Lord Jesus this way. They say, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. Now, we're up to saying this. There's that, that little difference in the Gospels, but, but it comes from them. I'm, I'm not sure the mother puts them up to it. I think it comes from them. And I, and I think that what James and John are doing is they, they have not come to really understand the nature of the kingdom of God. They, they think that Jesus is going to institute this powerful kingdom. He's going to bring dominion. And, and, and just in case uh, that they can stand to be number two, but, they, but in case Jesus doesn't carry through with what he has come to do and what they think he's come to do, they can't stand the thought of being number three. They can be number two. And so they want to ensure that position. They want to make sure that they've got a good position in the kingdom and, um, and notice the way the Lord Jesus deals with them in verse 36. I've always, I've always found it striking that um, Jesus deals so lovingly with us in our foolishness. Um, he doesn't correct them with a heavy, harsh hand. And, and if anybody could do that, it would have been him. He, he, he says, what do you want me to do for you? He entertains their, their foolish misconceptions. I love... Um, that hymn, uh, presumably by John Calvin, I greet thee whom I sure redeemer art. And I love that line about Christ, no harshness hast thou and no bitterness. 
even in correcting them, he deals gently and he's teaching them, isn't he, about the nature of the kingdom, even in doing that. He's, he's going to entertain in order to instruct, to help bring them along to where they need to be. And notice they say to him, grant us to sit one at your right hand and one at your left in your glory. Now, we don't know what conception they have beyond a surface uh, guessing about what they think about the kingdom, but they certainly think there's going to be these positions of power and, and Jesus would be on the throne and they would be right there next to him. And very interesting, and I don't know if you've ever noticed this, there's only one other place where um, individuals are said to be on the right hand or the left of Christ, and that's at the cross. And that is his glory. And they don't get that. And they don't know that. Um, They are asking for the best place. Um, The Lord Jesus will correct this elsewhere with the disciples when he says, if you go to a feast, don't seek to sit at the best seat. You know, there's only one place in, in the scriptures where a seat at the table is spoken of. And Jesus says, take the lowest place. Take the lowest place. Um, our flesh hates that. Take the lowest place. Um, the disciples want the best seats. They want, they want to be in positions of power and notoriety and recognition. And I want us to just ask ourselves the question this morning, is, is my conception about the kingdom of God, the conception of the kingdom of God that Jesus has and what he is going to say in this passage, because this is one of those passages we need to come back to and have sort of wash over us to remind us what is of most importance. Um, Secondly, Jesus is going to talk about the cost of the kingdom. Notice he says to them, you do not know what you're asking. Uh, He knows exactly what he's going to have to do. Here is the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Here's the one who has all authority in heaven and on earth. Here's the one who is the ruler of the kings of the earth. Here's the one that with a word spoke the world into existence. And he says, you don't know what you're asking. I came to drink a cup and I came to be baptized with a baptism. Now, the cup, of course, is the cup spoken of by Isaiah and Jeremiah when God is bringing an indictment against his people for their wickedness. And he says he's going to make them drink the cup to the very dregs, the cup of his wrath, that God has mixed a cup and he is going to pour that out. And he is telling his people, you will drink that cup to the full. And here the Lord Jesus is saying, I am going to stand in the place of my people. The one who is holy and harmless, undefiled and separate from sinners. The one who knew no sin is going to drink that cup to the full. A cup's going to be put before him in the garden and he's going to look in it the way Daniel's friends were made to look into the fiery furnace when it was heated up. And he's going to see exactly what he has to do. He's he's going to see what it means to fall under the wrath of God and to cry out in dereliction, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And Jesus says, look, you don't know what you're asking. Here's what I've come to do. I've come to drink this cup. And then he says, I've come to be baptized with a, a baptism. Now, Jesus has already been baptized. What is he talking about? He's talking about the fiery baptism of God's wrath, that the flood waters of God's wrath are going to flow over him at the cross. 
Jesus, even at his baptism, gives us a foretaste of this. Um, Jeffrey Thomas, the British Baptist minister, has this really amazing imagery. He says, I like to imagine Jesus coming to John the Baptist, and he's in that long train of sinners. He says, there's a murderer and an adulterer, a wife beater, a glutton, a gossip, Jesus, a thief, down the line. And there's Jesus in this long line of sinners. And then he comes and he steps into the waters. And and those sinners who have gone before him have had their sins symbolically washed away into the water. And, And Sinclair Ferguson says he takes, as it were, that polluted water, and it's poured over the holy head of Jesus because of your sin and my sin. He's showing what he was going to come to do, that he was going to take the pollution and the filth and the wickedness and the sin, and then all the judgment that you deserve on himself at the cross. And he's going to take all of it into his holy soul. His soul is going to become an offering for sin. He who knew no sin is going to be made sin for us. Um, that's a stark contrast from what James and John are asking for. Um, he's going to go as low as any man has ever gone to save us. No one has ever gone so low as the Lord Jesus. Um, totally countercultural. There's nothing in this world that functions like that. And so he says, you don't know what you're asking. Are you able to do these things? And they say to him, they don't know what they're asking. They say, we are able. They have no idea. And and he then tells them, you're also going to share in my sufferings. You're going to partake in the sufferings that I am suffering for you. You are going to drink the cup. You are going to suffer for my name's sake. You are going to be hated. You are going to be persecuted. And Notice he says in verse 40, but to sit at my right hand or at my left is not mine to grant, but it is for those for whom it has been prepared. Again, I don't know this, but I wonder if Jesus is not thinking about the cross. Um, He's talking about it a lot in this passage. He'll continue to in verse 45. Um, The kingdom is costly. and, And we have to know what it costs for God to establish his kingdom and to bring us into it. Um, One old Scottish theologian, John McLaren, he's a correspondent of Jonathan Edwards. He has a sermon on the glory of the cross. And, and he's, he's, he says about Jesus, you know, he had no, he had no purple robes. He had no magnificent retinue of soldiers. He, he, but, but he walked on water. He didn't have wealth, but when he needed money, a fish brought him a coin. Um, totally contrary to how we would write the narrative if it were up to us about how we bring the kingdom and how the church conquers. It conquers by his suffering on the cross. Um, Notice 
it's not just James and John. Notice verse 41. When the 10 heard it, they became indignant with James and John. So they have not gotten any of this. So James and John are over here. We want to be the best. Forget about these guys. Jesus, make us great. Jesus then explains what true greatness is. And then the other 10 are hung up on the fact that James and John want to get ahead of them. You see, this is what's in our hearts. All the disciples, every one of them is falling into the same trap. And they're not understanding what Jesus is saying here. Um, Now, Jesus goes on to instruct about uh, the nature, really, and the cost of the kingdom in verse 42. Jesus called them to him, and he said to them, you know that those who are considered rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them, but it shall not be so among you. If I could say that with more force, it shall not be so among you, I would say it with more force. That's one of the most powerful things. Let that sink deep into your minds and hearts. It shall not be so among you. We are not to lord anything over anyone in the home. For anyone that has misconceptions about role relations, you are not the lord of your home. We are to be servants of all. Lord of none. We are to lead as servants. Jesus says the Gentiles lorded over their servants. It shall not be so among you. And then notice he says in verse 43, but whoever would be great among you must be your servant. The greatest man I've ever met in my lifetime was a man named John Skilton. He was the Greek professor of New Testament and New Testament and Greek at Westminster, Philadelphia for 43 years. He was best friends with Dr. Van Til, took over for Stonehouse, I believe, and before that, Machen. Um, Probably have never heard of John. He is, in my opinion, greater than all those other great men. Um, John was a genius. He, they, they have said stories are that he had the entire Greek New Testament memorized and that he and Murray had a competition to see who could memorize all the textual variants and John Skilton won. Um, John uh, was single. He didn't drive. He died at 94, 95 years old, but he would take the bus in Philadelphia. He would take it from where he lived in the Vietnamese section in Albany Avenue and he'd take it over to Westminster Philly. And John had written his doctoral dissertation that was ultimately uh, done at Penn, and it was on English translations of the Bible from 1880 to 1910. And he left it on the bus and called the bus station headquarters, and, and they never found it. And he reconstructed his dissertation from memory. Now, that's not what made John Skilton great, none of that. What made John Skilton great is if you go to Philadelphia and talk to people that knew him, they will say he was the most loving man I've ever met in my life. I remember as a boy going to what we called the Skilton house, and John would have homeless people in his home, missionaries, and at 80 years old, he would sleep by his bed and give others his own bed. That's what made him the greatest man I've ever met. And, and, And we don't scratch the surface of that. I don't in becoming servant to all, servant to all.
servant to all. It's very hard. I have to preach it to myself. Nick, got to serve. It's, it's counterintuitive to what's inside of us. Everywhere we go, in every sphere, am I serving, 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 not for recognition. I had a man say to me 10 or so years ago, it's in the same place with him going to a meeting and he was working on something and he said, I need your help. And I was 30 minutes late and I didn't have time. And I said, look, I can come back and help you. And he said, I want a pastor I can control. That's what's in people's hearts. I want recognition for serving. It's in my heart. I want somebody to see what I'm doing and I want some accolades for it. And Jesus says, look, if you want to be great, and the Bible does not con- condemn seeking greatness. Jesus says, pursue greatness, all of you in ministry, pursue it by becoming servant of all. Take the lowest seat, be willing to just care for the needs of others. My dad used to pray when I was a boy constantly, and I hated it then because I was unregenerate and I love it now, um, that the Lord would make us mindful of the needs and interests of others. Always prayed that like a broken record. Lord, make us mindful of the needs and interests of others. That's what Paul says, doesn't he, in, in Philippians 2, right? Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, being in the form of God, did not consider equality with God a thing to be held onto, but humbled himself and made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant. Um, look, if the Lord Jesus did it, then that's the model. That's the model. Don't have an aversion to looking at Christ as your example because we love so much the truth of substitutionary atonement. He is also the model. Let this mind be in you. Am I, am I seeking to, to have the mind of Christ? Am I seeking to, to, to go down as low as I can for the good of others? By the way, that's what ministry is. I know some of you maybe have never been in ministry. I totally had wrong thoughts about ministry when I was here at Greenville. And if you think you're going to be the next Spurgeon, let me just tell you, you're not. <laughs> and and um, you may have a honeymoon in ministry, and those are nice. I'm having the first one ever because I planted a church from scratch and never had one. Um, they're nice, but they don't last forever. Um, you're going to have... You're going to have every kind of hardship, challenge. Members are going to be angry with you if family members die because you're the closest thing to God in their opinion, and they're angry at the Lord. And so they'll take it out on you. And they'll complain about what you're not doing and why you're not doing it good enough. And they'll get together and they'll have gossip groups and they'll talk about what they want. And they'll tell you, you need to listen to them. And just, y'all get a very realistic view of ministry. And it means getting back in there and saying, I'm going to serve these people. Now, sometimes you can help them out of the church, and that's wonderful too. But even the difficult people that stay, we are called to serve and to be gentle towards and to respond in humility, even when everything in you wants to just burst out at them. And you got to remember, 
the Lord Jesus laid down his life for you and me when we were filthy and way worse than however we're being treated by those individuals. Notice the Lord does say, whoever would be first among you must be slave of all. And then notice verse 45. And we love this verse because it does teach penal substitutionary atonement. But notice he says, for even the son of man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. If there was anyone who could have demanded that you address him a certain way, that could have demanded that you do what he says right now because of who he is, it's Jesus. If there's anyone, this is God. This is the eternal God. And if anyone could have said, I am God, and you will do what I say, it's Jesus. And Jesus say, I didn't come to be served. I came to serve and to give my life a ransom for many. If the God who gives you life and breath and all things did that, then we certainly need to pursue that, don't we? You see, this is where the gospel shapes and informs our ministries. The message we preach is not just proclaimed out there. It's preached to us to change us and to conform us to the image of Christ. You know, I sometimes think there are, there are, there are emphases in our circles about piety and holiness. And, and sometimes, and this is not a jab, don't take it as a jab because we've got to emphasize holiness. But, but I so rarely hear servanthood as a part of piety. I never hear it, in fact, ever. And this is the only thing Jesus is teaching them here. I rarely hear about the fruit of the Spirit being holiness. That's what it means to be conformed to the image of Christ. It's his love. It's his joy. It's his peace. It's his gentleness. It's his goodness. It's his faithfulness. He says, my love I give you. My joy I give you. Abide in my love. And it's his life as a servant that is going to shape and inform our ministries as servants. I don't love this quote. I like it. Uh, Count Zinzendorf, you probably know this. Um, he said, preach the gospel, die, be forgotten. That's, that's sort of the heart of this. There is a king in the kingdom and all the focus is on him. Um, and you know who got this really well about the king of the kingdom was John the Baptist. And Jesus said there was no one greater than John the Baptist in the entire Old Testament. Nobody, not Abraham, not Moses, not Elijah, not Isaiah, not Jeremiah, not David. John the Baptist, Jesus says, was the greatest. And what did John say? He must increase and I must decrease. He must increase, I must decrease. And, and that's got to be like a broken record in our hearts and minds. I'm telling y'all. Driving down the road, you've got to pray that, Lord, you increase, make me decrease, and, and then think about others and the needs of others. Now, let me just say this as we close. We all are going to fail miserably at this. I, I'm sure more than you. And, and when we do, we go back, we go back to the Savior who gave his life a ransom for many, and we say, Lord, Make me more like yourself. Forgive me for my selfishness. Forgive me for wanting to lord over people. Forgive me for this. Conform me more to your image. 
and what he did in his service keeps working in us. Isn't that awesome? What Jesus did that didn't just redeem us at one point, it continues to work in us. One of the best things I learned in this seminary was that we, I think Morton Smith said this, we go back to the cross to go forward in holiness. We keep going back because we fail so much. Every single day we fail. And yet the gospel keeps working and the Savior keeps serving us. Now, here's a thought. In Luke chapter 12, Jesus is talking about the, the feast to come in glory and the consummation. And he says he's going to welcome those from the north and the south and the east and the west. And he says the Son of Man is going to gird himself and serve them. Did you know that? Jesus says in the consummation, he's going to keep serving us. What kind of savior and king is this? It's never going to end. He's going to keep serving for all eternity, his people. I, I can't even, I don't even know what that will be like. But what we get now as we are being served by him through the preaching of the gospel and our hearts are being being made more like him because of what he did for us is just a tiny little foretaste of whatever that's going to mean. The king who did not come to be served, but to serve is going to serve us for all eternity. What, what a glorious thought. I hope that you'll be encouraged as you continue your studies and you all prepare for ministry that you would make this a staple uh, for your pastoral ministry. I wish I had learned this when I was young and I'm, I'm hopefully learning it now. And I, I hope that you'll really press into this and that this will go deep into your minds and hearts. Let him who has ears to hear, let him hear what the spirit says. Let me pray for us. Father in heaven, we are often so selfish and we do often want recognition and notoriety and we want the praise of men and we pray that you would forgive us. We pray that you would forgive us for seeking to get ahead by um, success or even a use of our gifts. We pray that you would give us the mind of the Lord Jesus, that you would forgive us for the ways that we have failed to serve others. We pray that there would be a sweet spirit of service in this uh, seminary. We thank you for its faithfulness to your word. We pray, Lord Jesus, that you would uh, continue to serve uh, those who are studying here and the professors with the gospel. And we pray that you would give us grace that all of us would uh, desire more and more to take the lowest spot, to be servant of all and Lord of none. And so, Lord, have mercy on us. We pray that you would use us. We know that you don't have to. And it is amazing that you have spared us and used us at all. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for tuning in to this production of Greenville Presbyterian Theological Seminary. For more information, please visit gpts.edu.